And so one of the wonderful things about the liturgical calendar, about this Advent season, about coming to these different places in the life of the church, is it helps us to reorient our understanding on what God was actually up to when he came and made himself known in this earth. We create all these illusions about what it means. We create all these stories. And as Pastor Matt has reminded us over the last couple of weeks that we can build in our own sentimentality and our own kind of illusions about what it means and why we're doing Christmas and how that all works. And we forget the reality of the true story because the true story is so grand that we think we have to replace it with something we can understand. When there is supposed to be mystery, mystery is a huge part of it. And so a part of what we've been doing as we've gone through these passages in Isaiah is to understand what the prophets foretold, but as the writer of Hebrews would teach us that in the days of old, we understood this through the prophets, but now we understand it through the son himself, through Jesus himself, who has come to bring us the light, the light of the world, has come to be here in the world and to shine through us. And we need a perspective change if we're going to truly embrace the Advent season in the way he wants us to do that. There was a a novel written by Saul Bellow. Maybe you had to read it in high school like I did. It was written in 1959. It was called Henderson, the Rain King. And the book is a unique blend of, of philosophical discussion and, and a comic adventure. It all centers around this man named Eugene Henderson, who was somewhere in his middle ages, what that, whatever that means, and he had attained and accomplished almost everything he thought he would accomplish in his life. He had achieved the success he was looking for. He had all that he thought he needed in life. But there was this emptiness, this hole in his heart, he felt like, that every time he would lay awake at night and try to listen for a voice, he would hear this voice inside himself. And the voice always said one statement, I want, I want, I want. And Henderson didn't know who the voice was. This is not a This is not a Christian book, it's a spiritual book that that Saul Bellow wrote, but he would hear this voice over and over again, I want, I want, I want. Maybe you've heard that voice the last few days. If you've been in the mall, you've probably heard that voice. I want, I want. Maybe you've heard it in yourself as you yourself have been out looking around and looking at Christmas lights and looking at the houses are on thinking, I want, I want. It's easy for us to do this, to get there. And sure enough, this guy, Eugene Henderson, had gone through that. And in the story, it's a great story that where Henderson realizes something has to change in his perspective if he's ever going to understand what it is that he himself was crying out that he wanted. And so he decided to take a trip. He decided to take a trip to Africa. And so he gets on a plane, and as the plane takes off, and the narrator in the story, the author of the story, is saying that as the plane climbed above the clouds, that Henderson looked down upon the clouds and he saw clouds in a way he had never seen them before. 
And it began to change his perspective. And he started thinking, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe I'm questioning the, all of the answers in the wrong way. And he goes on about on to the trip in Africa and a lot of great adventures and, and happen and, and you have to read the book if you want to know the end of the story. But that part of the story is how I want to just get your attention today. Because it is so true that so many of us journeys begin from a place of just saying, I want. And we're not sure what it is we want. We're not sure even where that comes from in ourselves that we want. That would have been true of God's people 800 years before Jesus was born. They were saying often to God, I want, I want something. We want prophets, okay. We want a king, okay. We want your voice. And then God got silent. God's people, though, continued to say, I want, I want. And through the prophets, we hear some of what God's people were crying out to God, saying that they wanted. But it wasn't always what God intended to give them, which is why God spoke to his people in various ways. Through the prophet Isaiah, he is trying to give his people then, his people now, a picture of who he is and what he has done. We've been studying this through the lens of Isaiah chapter 9. And it's what we began our service with today. Schuyler did an amazing job of, of capturing that scripture for us and reminding us of unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. This is a political statement that's being made by the prophet Isaiah. Not just a federal government, the government of the entire universe rests on the shoulders of a child. Now that's a little tricky to understand, then and now, right? And so what God did is he gave his people then and now various ways to understand that this is his very nature that he's trying to describe to them. And you can just say God, but as soon as you say God, everyone has a different image, a different picture of who that might be and what God looks like. Many times we just simply extrapolate our best view of what a human being operating at their best capacity or what Marvel comics or a superhero or something, that that becomes our version or our picture of God. And God's saying, no, you're, you're, get, you're getting the hint, but only half of it. You're getting the gift, but you're not receiving it all. And so to help us do that, he unpacks it in a different way. Two chapters before in Isaiah 7, he says, first of all, let me tell you, I'm Emmanuel. I'm God, it means God with us. God with us. Well, what's that mean? Well, then in Isaiah 9, he gives us these four names. We call them names. They're not really names. They're more attributes of God because you don't see them really fleshed out in the New Testament according to these names. But we do see these attributes fleshed out in the New Testament in when Jesus himself comes. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Then here are the four attributes. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. And the story goes on from there, and you should read the end of it. But let me talk to you about these first couple that we've covered already. Pastor Matt's already taught us about the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. What I love about this part of these descriptive words of God, that we know that a counselor is someone with a plan, someone helping us come to the understanding of a plan for our lives, for our situations. That's what a counselor does. And we use that word in a lot of different contexts. In this context, it means God has a plan, that there is a plan for us, and it is a wonderful plan. I've had in my life lots of wonderful plans, but if plans stop there, they are just great ideas. There's very little implementation with just a plan. So God goes on to say, you will also know him as mighty God. And here's the good part of this story then. I mean, it's one of the good parts. There's many good parts. With mighty God, it means that God has a plan. And good news, he is mighty God, so he has the power to implement that plan. Because again, a plan without the power to implement it is just a good idea. It gets you nowhere. But think about the converse of that is also true. That just power without a plan is equally difficult to manage in this world. I can give you a great example of this in my own life. When I was a much younger man... Uh, I, I did then and I do now, I have three brothers and uh, of, my, of the four of us, uh, two of my brothers, two of my, my older two brothers are car fanatics. I mean, they love cars, especially muscle cars. Uh, one of my brothers has five cars, has a, has a five car garage. He's got Corvettes. I mean, I've, I've driven and abused all of his cars at one time or another in my life. But my oldest brother, when I was uh, a much younger man, too young to drive, and young people here in these rooms, let me just tell you, what I'm getting ready to tell you, you should not do. Um, In fact, I forbid you to do it. Your parents forbid you to do it. But I'm telling this as a part of a confession here, get it out of my system. Uh, and so here's, here's what happened. You know, I was, it was before I had my driver's license, but I had driven a lot uh, around. We had farmland. We lived in a rural setting. I had driven a Studebaker truck uh, a lot. I, I thought I could manage just about any car. But my oldest brother, Harold, who I have to be careful because I think he's watching this right now, so I have to tell the truth. Uh, but Harold at that time had a 1968 GTO. Now, if you ever heard Little Ronnie and the Daytonas, you know this car. You know, three deuces and a four-speed and a 389. He had a 1968 GTO Blue with a white convertible top, and he loved that car. I loved that car. The trouble is, I was 14, and I loved the car and could do nothing about it, just had this love from afar. And I continued to have one message that I gave to Harold. I want, I want, I want, I want to drive that car. I want to drive your car. You can't drive my car. I want to drive your car. 
And I probably, there was the season in our life where probably a day didn't go by that I would say, I want to drive your car. And he never would let me until finally, I think I just absolutely drove him uh, to the point of exhaustion with it. And we were out one sunny Sunday afternoon in Kentucky, and we, the four of us, my little brother Randy, who's quite a bit younger than me, were, he was with us too, but the four of us were out driving around on the rural roads there in central Kentucky. And I'm sitting in the back seat, because that was my place, and uh, I said, Harold, I want to drive. You know, you can't drive. I want to. I want to drive. Look, there's nobody on the roads. I want to drive. You can't drive. I want to drive. Finally, he just stops the car. I didn't know whether he was going to hit me or throw me out of the car or what, but, but to my amazing delight, he gets out of the driver's seat. Okay, get in the, get, do it. Get in the driver's seat. So I go, I get into the driver's seat of the car, and I mean, this, is, this was the best day of my life up to this point. So I get in that car, and I push in the clutch. I, I had driven a standard transmission before. I pushed in the clutch. Harold gets in, James, my brother, Randy's in the back seat. We're all four in the car. And I push the clutch in as far as it will go, and I push the accelerator pedal down as far as it will go. <laughs> yeah. And I let out on the clutch. And for two seconds, it was sheer exhilaration. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. I can feel it right now and tingle in the process. And then something happened. Utter fear took over. Because you know what? I had power in that car, 389 cubic inches. I had no plan. I had no idea what I was going to do after first gear. And so I'm trying to get my head around, okay, I need to shift gears. I think I need to push the clutch in. I need to let off the gas. All this stuff is happening in, in seconds. It feels like we're, it's, it feels like it's in hours. And, and I'm trying to figure out where is the clutch. I know it's down there somewhere. I was sitting on a little box to be able to see over the dash anyway. And so I'm trying to reach the clutch and, and to both, to, I wouldn't be here today if Harold had not reached over and turned off the ignition of the car. We coasted in, yeah, I'm glad to be here too, I, trust me. We coasted into this little barbed wire fence, didn't do much damage at all. But I had power without a plan, and so then I realized I needed a plan after this happened, after I'm in the, in the fence. And so I start saying to these guys, to my brothers, I said, okay, this didn't happen. This never happened today. Nothing happened while we were out here today. And they were like, Harold said, you better believe nothing happened here today. You know, and so we have a plan. And we're all, James and Harold and I are all making this plan together. But Randy was not making a plan with us. Randy was sitting in the back seat. I don't think he had taken a breath since I took over the wheel. And so... I'm start, so we all, we drive back home, we park in a convenient place on our property, we're walking up, my, both my parents are on the back porch. My dad is a, was a federal law enforcement officer. And so uh, I didn't have to worry about cops coming and finding me, you know. And so we, we have this plan, we walk up toward the back porch and we agree, okay, nobody, nothing, not a word, this didn't happen, never happened, we'll go to our grave with this. We literally said that, we'll go to our grave with this. And, and except for Randy, 
And so we were walking out to the back porch, and as Randy got within earshot of the back porch, his first words were, they tried to kill me today. (laughs) And so my dad, it didn't take him long to figure out what had happened. And so I can just tell you that I didn't drive for a long time. I mean, I've only had my license now for five years as a result. I didn't drive for a long time after that happened because, you know, I had, a, I had power without a plan. And then I made a plan when I had no power to implement it. And the good news that God wants to tell you today is this, that because he is our wonderful counselor, he has a plan already in place. He is writing your story from the ending back to the beginning. And he also has the power to implement that plan. And he will do that because he is the mighty God. And then the next part of this is everlasting father. And this might be, this is not the best, I keep saying this is the best part. It's all the best part. But here's what I love about the fact that I get to talk to you about everlasting father. Because here's the deal. Even if there is a plan and there is power, if it's not personal, then it doesn't mean anything. In North Korea, there is a plan. And there is power, but it scares me and you to death, doesn't it? Because it's not for our good. It's not personal because here's the thing that an everlasting father does, according to scripture, is that a father with the parental role that God takes in our life, don't get confused on everlasting father. This is not God the father, the first person of the Trinity becoming a baby as Jesus in the second person of the Trinity. This is a parental, this is an attribute of God. This parental attribute that is manifested throughout scripture in many different ways. And we see this this parental, this provision that God gives because God not only provides provision through this for us, for his plan, which he has the power to implement, but he also in this provides protection. We know that he takes compassion on us. In Psalm 103 is one of the best examples of this. Psalm 103, verse 13, it says this, that just as a father has compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This compassion that he has for us again, is provisional, but it's also a protection for us because we need protection from even the sheer power of God. God has to protect us even in that. There's lots of stories, and we don't have time to go into it today, but you know, even when anybody wanted to see God, they could only see parts of God. But when Jesus came, he said we could see God in his fullness, that the fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a protective measure as much as it is a provisional measure. We know this protection in a number of ways. Even Jesus as the Messiah reminds us of this protection that he offers to us, this parental protection. In fact, you know, you may remember the story 
In Luke chapter 13, when Jesus is on his way to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, and he walks by as he walks on the hill overlooking Jerusalem, and he looks over into Jerusalem and he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. This is the parental protection, provision that an everlasting parent wants to give you. It's hard for us many times. Some may not have the, the memory or the experience of having a father that protected you, that provided for you. And so it clouds your vision of who God is. Hear these words today that Jesus wants you to know that he comes in this kind of role in your life regardless of your situation, of regardless of your past, regardless of where you think your future is headed. He is the everlasting father who will never leave you, never forsake you. He will change your perspective on what it means for you to have a father because of his everlasting nature. He narrows this down so that we're sure that we understand it. Again, lots of places in scripture we could find this. But just for the sake of time and, and, and one place to look in Psalm 103, I love this psalm. This is the psalm that starts with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And forget none of his benefits. And then the psalmist David begins to describe to us what are his benefits. Think about David, what you know of David, writing these words. He would know something of this. Who forgives all your sins. You think you've sinned big time? You probably have. David sinned bigger than you have, no matter what you've done. Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all of your diseases. The one who satisfies your desires with good things. I want, I want, I want, who satisfies all your desires with good things. That's who the everlasting Father is in your life. And then in verse 14, lest you think that somehow God would do this for you as a parent because somewhere in your life you pulled the wool over your father or mother's eyes and they don't have a clue all the stuff you did as a teenager. Well, go to verse 14 because it says, David says, listen, he knows how you were formed. He knows, he remembers that you're dust. He knows all that stuff. You haven't fooled him in any way, shape, or form. And yet, as a father has compassion on his child, God has compassion on you. He doesn't overlook your sin. That's what this table reminds us of today. He paid the ultimate price to meet the demands of the relationship so justice 
could be extended to you. And mercy could be extended to you because he paid the price for your sins. So he knows how you're formed, but he heals you. He forgives you. He provides for you. And so for us, we have to remember that God again wrote this story from the ending backwards in our life. And that's what Advent means for us. That's what Isaiah was trying to tell us when he told us what God would look like when he comes, that he would look like this. He would look like a mighty God, a wonderful counselor who is a mighty God, who is an everlasting, compassionate Father. And then next week, Christmas Eve weekend, we'll look at what that means, the coming together of all things that's found in not just the absence of conflict, but shalom, peace itself, that literally we believe can come into our world because he is making all things new because of who he is. Our difficulty in this is, again, we only get half the story and we make up the rest. Take the whole story. Some of it is hard to take. Take the whole story. That's how you get the full benefit of it. Frederick Buechner said that we get so comfortable, we have this glimmering, this light within us that God has put there because he is the light of the world, and we'll unpack this better next weekend, as the light of the world, has then Jesus came and says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You are the ones who shine in this world. But Beekner says we have so gotten accustomed to covering up that light with all these different costumes that we think we have to wear, all these different faces that we have to put on, all these illusions even that we create of who we are. And so we hide even that glimmering light that God has put within us. And he knows that. God knows that. But he is still writing your story from the ending back to the beginning. And you can know that and explore that in a profound and unique way by embracing the reality of who he is, letting these words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, sink deep into your soul. In 1967, a young woman was getting on an airplane and as she did, she was reading Saul Bellow's book, Henderson, The Rain King. And she was looking out the window of the airplane she was on and she saw clouds. And it struck her as no small irony that the book she was reading, as she looked out, was a narrator describing this guy, Eugene Henderson, looking at clouds on a journey and she had this thought. And she put the book down and she began to write about what she saw. Rows and bows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feathered canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. But now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on every one. There's so many things. I would have done, but clouds got in the way. 
And then this young woman, 23 years old, goes on to write about love and life. And she finishes the song. Her name was Joni Mitchell. Judy Collins recorded that song, won a Grammy with it. Joni Mitchell then recorded that song, won a Grammy with it. And then over a thousand other people have recorded that song. Many have won Grammys with this song. But years later, after she first performed this song, if you Google this, and if you're under 40 years old, you'll have to. But if you Google this and you go back and listen to Joni Mitchell singing this song in 1968 when she recorded it, it is a light and lilting song with a guitar. It's lovely. But it's nothing like she did over 30 plus, several decades later, she re-recorded the song. After some decades of a lot of life and some grit, a lot of nicotine and some failed relationships. And she re-recorded the song. And there's actually a connection that I wanna close with today about our everlasting father, but first, I think you need to hear the song.
Joni's got nothing over on you, Michelle. Um, and Tim, beautiful, beautiful arrangement. So thankful. Yeah. So here's the point. What do you want? What do you want out of life? What do you want out of love? And what's in your way? You know, one of the brilliant things, a 23-year-old woman writes this song, what could she have known? You're probably thinking, like, I'm thinking, at 23, I knew everything there was to know. At the age I am now, which we'll just leave it out there, I get this song in a different way than I did when I heard it then. There's so many parts of it, of life and love, and the things that I've allowed to get in the way that are illusions. And so here's what your everlasting father has come to say to you that you can know, you can know for sure his plan, his power, and his provision by putting your confidence and faith in a God who knows the ending and has begun with the ending in mind. That's what we need. That's what you want, whether you realize it right now or not. And so when we go from these rooms where we are today, we go out to be the light of the world. It's the calling we have. And maybe some of you need someone to pray with you before you go to do that. And there will be folks in front of the, each of these rooms to pray with you and for you. But for some of you, you're still grappling with, how do I get the sequence of this right? Can I just remind you of what it was, that God started with a baby. Can you get your head around that? That he came in this child, that the government would be on his shoulders. He became our teacher, taught us how we are to live. He became our savior, taught us how we can have confidence even in death. But he reigns as God Almighty to give us hope for all eternity. Wherever you are on that journey, live that out this week. Don't try to jump over where you're not. Be where you are, live that out this week. And we'll do it together. We'll get through it together.